I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jokic behind his back. What a taste like Jokic. your sitter. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Podcast. I am Zach Nikosh with denverstiffs.com no mr gordon gross this week he is off so it will be just me flying solo with you guys here on this beautiful well not really beautiful chilly and gray monday morning in denver colorado here in the mile high city the denver nuggets are officially underway in their regular season for the 2020-2021 year they have not got off to a great start the nuggets were are officially oh and two winless on the year after dropping their first two games against the Sacramento Kings and Los Angeles Clippers there. They played Clippers on Christmas night on national TV, and that was their second loss in a row. So we're going to go into dive into both of those games from last week, kind of talk about what happened, um, whether we should be freaking out, and uh, whether or not or what the Nuggets can do to try and Hopefully turn this thing around quickly and get into the win column tonight against the Houston Rockets. And that's what we'll spend the second half of the show talking about. We're going to preview this game we've got with Houston tonight. It's going to be a weird one. Uh, And then on top of that, we've also got uh, quite a few games coming up for the Nuggets this week. I think they've got three more and um, all very winnable games. They've got a pretty winnable schedule uh, on the immediate horizon before they get some tougher to start getting into some tougher teams next week. So let's not delay anymore. Let's go back and look at what has happened in our first two opening games. Nuggets lose opening night 124-122 to the Sacramento Kings. That one went into overtime. They then follow that up uh, by losing to the Los Angeles Clippers 121-108 uh, as the nightcap on Christmas day it was not uh nearly as close in that one as it was with the Kings. so starting with the king's game the um i think the number one things that that kind of went wrong there was it was really kind of it came down to your backcourt and and essentially uh your your whether it's your starters and gary harris and um uh, jamal murray or whether it's you're talking about monty morris who's coming off the bench they, uh, if Kundo Campazzo was, was very silent, PJ Dojarmi was all right, but, but really I look at those three, Murray, Harris, Morris, you know, those are your three, your three top guards on your team. Uh, they combined to shoot, you know, what is that? Five, uh, six of 24. Um, they were O of 10 from three. It was, it was just a complete dearth. I think was the, I was on the recap. That was the way I used to describe it. A dearth of production from your backcourt and that that killed you because that's the only production 
um, that Sacramento pretty much got. They, the Sacramento got nothing out of their bigs uh, in that game. They were they were all right on the glass, which is something we'll, we'll talk about some more here as well. I think that's been a sort of a theme in these two losses. The Nuggets um, have not done well when it comes to rebounding. But um, in terms of scoring, in terms of, of giving Denver any sort of problems on the offensive end, uh, the Kings bigs did nothing. I mean, they, they, they combined for, you know, 23 points. It was, and I'm not, I'm not including, uh, Nemanja Bielitsa in that because I, I get that he sometimes played him and Harrison Barnes both sometimes play forward or power forward for the Kings, but that, you know, those are small lineups. Those guys aren't when I'm, I'm talking bigs in, in the, in the sense of, of the guys who are, who are playing on the low block more and, 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 um, really working the post. That's what I mean. Uh, when I'm talking about that, so I'm talking about Holmes and Bagley and Whiteside, and those guys really did nothing uh, to stop the Nuggets. But but and and on the on the Nuggets end, I mean that was where all their production was, right? Like I mean, Nikola Jokic got a triple double; he looked awesome. Michael Porter Jr. was very efficient. Uh, Paul Millsap had a pretty solid game as well. You know, they they had a lot of um, production from their front court and nothing from their back court, and it was the reverse. Uh, with Sacramento, the thing is, though, is that you still probably can survive that game, even with, you know, even with uh, Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes all scoring uh, 20 point, 20 plus points, even with um, your your guards not being able to hit anything, you probably still win this game or have a chance to still win this game. Don't mind the dog. Um, you you have a good chance of winning this game, but there is the. Uh, just the execution problems that the Nuggets had. They they had, I would say they had, you know, at least three shots at winning this game um, and couldn't get it done. The first shot they had was if they had just come out of the the first half and, and played um, played really well there in that third quarter, they, they could have buried the Kings right there. They were up seven going into half. They came out in that third quarter, totally got away from them. I think they got outscored by 12 points in the third. That's what basically allowed the Kings to come back into the game and then make it a close game. Uh, down down the stretch so uh, you had a chance to kind of put them away in the third you couldn't do that instead you let them come back and get the lead uh, you but then you you fight back you know this is a resilient team as we know um, and you have a chance to win it right there at the end of uh, at the end of regulation I really did not like the foul call on Nicole Jokic I thought it was pretty ticky tack um, it I mean I don't really think he pushed very hard on Corey Joseph there but uh, Joseph sold it and he got the call, and and that's you just can't do that in in late game execution. I mean, I get it; it was it was a kind of a crummy call, but you we, you got it. You can't put the game in the refs' hands like that. Um, they could have they so that that was another chance they had to to close it out. Couldn't get it done, and then obviously right there, I mean, they had them. They flat out had them um, at the end of overtime, and uh, just just. Just really just an awful execution of that inbounds play. I thought, you know, there. I think there was a case to be made that maybe Jokic got fouled uh, on that inbound pass as well. But um, the, the the play design just seemed all. It seemed just really crummy. I mean, it was. It, it didn't seem like obviously they're getting the ball into Jokic, but they, there wasn't any sort of movement or anything to try and get him free on the inbound. It was basically all right. Well, we're just gonna have Jokic sit up at the top of uh, at the top of the key or of, of the top of the perimeter and. Um, We'll toss him the ball and, and go from there, and then that that obviously didn't work out. Nuggets get the steal, and then, and then or I mean, Kings get the steal, and, and Heel gets the tip in there to win the game for Sacramento. So that, that it stings because you, like I said, I, I think you had a lot of chances to win that game, and you just let it slip away. And so you hopefully you're, you're chalking it up um, to first game 
execution in in nothing more. Perhaps maybe then the more the more disappointing game is the Christmas night game against the Clippers because the Nuggets were never really close. They got within eleven uh, there in the fourth quarter and they they went on a bit of a run. I think they went on an eleven zero run. So they were you know they were trailing by twenty plus and then got within eleven. So I guess if you want to say they were they got close by doing that. That's um, I guess you could say that. I wouldn't necessarily. I think you still lose by double digits. It still counts as a blowout. So they didn't really uh, ever get going too much against the Clippers. That was a game where they fell behind. You know, they fell behind early um, there in the by the by the about mid second quarter. It was into double digits, um, and and they just didn't recover. I thought I thought it was you know it was it was certainly a case of of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George making a point uh, in this game. Both those guys score plus 20 points, uh, and we're pretty much the dominant force for the Clippers. So Kawhi Leonard, of course, has that scary injury where he got hit in the mouth by Serge Ibaka um, and was bleeding from the floor, or bleeding on the floor. I haven't heard yet. I think the way everything came back on Kawhi is probably, I think well, they, the Clippers even played another game since then, haven't they? They played, yeah, they played against the Mavericks, and I think Kawhi played in that game. Um, so they'll be... He should be just fine. Uh, no, he did not. He played. He sat that game out. So, um, so we'll see. Hopefully, Kawhi will be fine. I, like I said, I don't think I've heard anything being uh, about it being too. Um, it's not like he broke his jaw or something like that. You know. So, uh, hopefully, Kawhi will be back. But otherwise, you know, the Nuggets. I mean, in that game, those two guys really, really hurt uh, Denver from uh, a scoring standpoint. They, the Nuggets, couldn't really get an answer for either guy. Uh, both had very efficient nights. Paul George particularly killed them from the three-point line, uh, and and that was um, that was something that I was just again not didn't have a bunch of answers for stopping people on the perimeter. Didn't have any answers for stopping anybody at the three-point line. To be honest, in this Clippers game, it was pretty atrocious. Uh, and Coach mentioned that it was the second year in a row now the Nuggets have not been prepared when showing up for a Christmas Day game. So I wonder if that's some of it with the hype around playing a Christmas Day game and plus all the other stuff you've got probably got going on that morning, right? You probably are doing, um, I mean, granted, most of these guys don't have, you know, kids. Um, and most of them are, are, are still a little bit young for that. But, you know, I mean, you think about a guy like a Will Barton or a Paul Millsap or, or, you know, some of these more veteran guys, like they probably were doing stuff with their families uh, in the morning. And even, even for the guys who don't have kids, it doesn't mean that Michael Porter Jr. wasn't with his family in the morning and, and doing Christmas stuff and things like that. Like, you know, there's um, a lot of distractions going on, obviously, Christmas Day outside of basketball. And then to play a basketball game uh, on that day, in, in particular, one that you know is on national TV and it's sort of like a big deal to get to play on Christmas. Um, you know, maybe the, I, I think maybe guys just weren't necessarily focused 100% because that, that certainly manifested itself when you look at the three-point defense and I mean I don't know did anybody on the Clippers struggle like I, I try to think of a single guy who didn't shoot well I'm looking at the stats right now it looks like Reggie Jackson was the only guy who shot under 40 percent um, from three on that LA team at least of the ones who attempted a shot so that um that was that was really the the probably the biggest thing I noticed was just there it, it wasn't even a matter uh, you know because it, it, it didn't feel necessarily like it was a matter of well Los Angeles is just really hot and just knocking down their shots and, and what can you do I mean there was some of that for sure you don't you don't shoot fifty five percent from the field without without just being hot but there was also a lot of you know guys get hot because they're open that's that's basically how that happens and then and then once they've got some confidence going then then it doesn't matter how you know if you're covering them or not. They've already got those few buckets under their their feet, and they're and they're good to go. But they they get hot 
uh, you know, say for some of maybe the best shooters in the world, guys get hot because because you've given them open shots, you gave them easy shots, and that kind of got them some momentum and some confidence in their rolling. That that was overwhelmingly the case um, when it came to playing the Clippers. The the Nuggets were constantly late in the rotations and and leaving guys open at the three point line, and those guys and, and to the Clippers' credit, I mean, they knocked those shots down uh, to the point of hitting fifty percent from three, and that. That you know when you you are shooting thirty percent from three and basically outside of Jamal Murray nobody's even hitting anything, um, and, and Murray struggled mightily at the beginning of this game. Um, you know it's it's a not gonna it's gonna be tough to win games that way and that's that's exactly what the Nuggets ran into. The other thing that I noticed and I mentioned this a little bit too uh, when I was talking about the Kings game, man, Ivica Zubac just killed the Nuggets. Uh, inside on this one, which is which is interesting because he actually didn't grab a, a rebound. Somehow Nick Batum, though, somehow Nick Batum, Nick Batum ends up with 10, 10 rebounds uh, all, all in the game and, and not a single, I don't think a single nugget uh, had double-digit rebounds. But um, Zubats, like, they they couldn't, they just couldn't keep from fouling him. They, 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 and it was, you know, it, it was interesting because Jokic only had two fouls himself. Um, but Zubats shot 11 free throws, which means he got fouled at least six times, right? So, because uh, I don't think he, yeah, I'm sure he didn't shoot any threes. But anyways, so like, you know, this is something that I, I think the Nuggets are, this is probably the biggest thing I'm seeing the Nuggets struggle with right now. And it's maybe because, you know, Paul Millsap is not a banger on the inside. He's just not, that's not the way he's he's going to play. And a lot of teams, uh, particularly a team like, the Clippers, who are going to start Ibaka and Batum um, as their forwards or as their bigs, like they're going to pull Paul Millsap out to the perimeter because they these a lot of teams are going to play that power forward position with that guy kind of either standing in the corner or or being more of a dynamic sort of player than you know than than a Paul Millsap and Paul Millsap does the same thing on his end as well. I mean he he is a guy who was classically a you know, a classic four in terms of uh, what you would think of in, in terms of like a 90s or, or 2000s power forward. And he's evolved his game into becoming a, uh, you know, a stretch four. And and so you've got a lot of guys who are doing that. Well, the Nuggets, you know, maybe Porter didn't have a very good night on the boards um, against the Clippers. Jokic did, did what Jokic did, but it was the same story against the Kings. Like the, the Nuggets just getting outworked, flat out outworked. Uh, on the boards, it was a little bit better against the Clippers. They only got out rebounded thirty eight to thirty two, but they were still, um, still just outworked uh, on the boards. Again, yeah, I mean, you're looking at guys like like Lou Kennard getting six rebounds, you know, and, and Lou Williams getting four rebounds. It's it's like it just doesn't make sense when you when you've got guys like Porter and Jokic who are just such fantastic rebounders um, to be getting just completely beat on the boards like this team. I mean, it was worse. Against Sacramento, he got out rebounded against Sacramento, fifty-four to forty-six, uh, including eighteen to ten on the offensive glass. Like that, that sort of thing can't happen, and that's what that is what is killing. And I think that's probably all I notice even more uh, than anything is the offensive glass. Like they they are just not getting securing the rebound on defense, and they are just giving way too many uh, second chance points up to these teams. And it's, and it's, it's hurting them. And it, 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 I think it's hurt them in, in both of these games. And I don't necessarily know what the answer is there. Cause I think you're pretty stuck in with Paul Millsap. I mean, hopefully Jermichael green getting healthy will, uh, maybe help you out there a little bit because when you, after Millsap and Porter, you know, your bench, I mean, Hartenstein is fine. Obviously he's, 
you know, but he's only going to play about 10 minutes or so. Other than him, though, I mean, Bull Bull's not a good rebounder uh, and hasn't really been playing much. And then, and then other than those two guys, you're essentially bringing a, just a ton of guards off the off of your bench, a lot of point guards, you know, and so it's um, there's just not a lot of rebounding right now in terms of, of your bench rotation and then um, – when you get guys getting when Millsap and Porter getting pulled out of the uh, defensive paint, and and you're basically leaving Jokic on the island there, and and Jokic has done an awesome job. Don't get me wrong; I mean Jokic has been fantastic these two games, but um, you can't just rely on him solely to do your rebounding, particularly against a team like Sacramento, who is going to throw what we know Jokic struggles with when it comes to rebounding. You know, Sacramento. I mean, Marvin Bagley, Hassan Whiteside, Rashawn Holmes; those are three big, athletic. You know, fast type of strong and type of bigs. Those are the guys that Jokic has the hardest time keeping off the boards. So um, they've got to find a way to get him some help. Whether it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know whether it's whether it's trying to figure out how to get uh, Porter closer to getting better rebounding position. Maybe it's just having a talk with Porter more to be like, hey, dude, you can't have games like you did against the Clippers where you're only getting three rebounds. Um, tough night for for MPJ in general, I think, against Los Angeles, but. Uh, Anyways, they've, they've, they've got to find a way to try and get better on the um, on the glass, which I think is the second biggest issue facing this team right now. If you were going to ask me, okay, you've seen these two, you've seen these two uh, regular season games, these two losses. What what would you say is your biggest issue that the Nuggets have right now? And to me, it's a no brainer. To me, it's so blatantly obvious, and it's one it's one player. It's Gary Harris. Like I. Man, like I get it, longest tenured Nugget. Like the guy is as a soft spot uh, in in Nuggets fans' hearts. Uh, he's he's kind of somewhat iconic with this core uh, in, in this group. But like, they, they, it's it's untenable right now. This is untenable. They cannot continue to start Gary Harris as their shooting guard. Doesn't matter how much he's getting paid. The guy can't shoot. Like he can't shoot. That 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 and he plays shooting guard. Like this, this cannot go on. He he's not even close, man. Like that's the thing. If if he was, you know, okay, you know, yeah, he shot two from six from three, or he shot one for four from three, but you know, he had he had a couple rim out, and and, and he's getting good looks, and or or he's he's getting bad looks and making him making it work. Like no, man. Like he he's missing wide open shots, and and they're clanking off the side of the rim if they're hitting the rim at all. Like it's. It's ugly, and I don't, I don't, I, I don't know what you can do at this point other than be like, this is, this is just gone. And I think you're, you're keeping him in your starting lineup because one, you know, there's, there's probably some, some loyalty there. He's always been your starter. Gary Harris has been a starter since his sophomore season, um, and and has never come off the bench regularly since then. Gary Harris is, like I said, I mean, he's your longest tenured player. He's um, been a big part of, of what you've been able to accomplish with this course so far. Uh, but, I mean, at some point, whether it, whether it's Will Barton or P.J. Dozier, um, and I think you can debate either guy, but one of those two guys has got to start over Gary Harris, and you've got to bring him off the bench and see if that can help him out, help him try and maybe refine some, some um, you know, some offensive chops because the thing is, is like, like we, coach will bench Michael Porter Jr. for being really bad on defense. And, and, and I think that's fair. He's not benching Gary Harris for being really bad on offense though. Like Gary, Gary's going to start tonight against Houston. Uh, and he shouldn't like, he shouldn't, he, he, he's not, because here's the other thing, you know, like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, 
were the leading scorers and the, and the guys who hurt you from an offensive standpoint against the Los Angeles Clippers. Buddy Heald, Darren Fox, Harrison Barnes were the guys who who were the leading scorers and hurt you from an offensive standpoint with the Sacramento Kings. Gary Harris is not stopping people, okay? He's not stopping people. Gary, I mean, you had Buddy Heald scored 22 points against Gary Harris as his primary defender. Paul George scored 23 points against Gary Harris as his primary de- defender. Paul George scored 23 points on 14 shots. Buddy Heald scored 22 points on 15 shots. They're not, it's not even like they're working hard. I mean, they're, they're, they're scoring efficiently and with ease. And if if that's what's happening with the with the shooting guards that you're going up against, and you've got Gary Harris who cannot hit a shot, who has not hit a three um yet this season, like what are you doing, man? Like what 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 is he out there for? At least in a starting capacity. I'm not saying Gary Harris is terrible. Gary Harris should be benched. Gary Harris is going to be playing in the Chinese basketball league next season. No, but what I am saying is like he's not giving you starter level production on either end of the court. So what are you doing leaving him as a starter? Like loyalty, great and all that, but at some point, like it's about wins, man. It's about wins, and he. I'm I'm thoroughly convinced. Gary Harris does not give you the best chance to win if he's your starting shooting guard. And and I think this is this is on Coach Malone. He's got to get past the loyalty thing. He's got to get past the I'm, you know, defense, defense, defense. Uh, and he's got to recognize that this guy is killing you on the offensive end. He's not even giving you that good of defense. And it doesn't matter if he's getting paid $20 million a season or whatever it is this year. Like, he, he you you're not – you are a much better team with him off the court. So at the very least – you cannot be starting games with Gary Harris on the court, starting third quarters with Gary Harris on the court, uh, and then and then just trying to get past that. Like bring him off the bench, see if he can refine some rhythm. You know, in in twenty minutes or so a game, you've got a lot of depth at your guards. Like you've got a ton of depth at your guards, including one guy who wants to be a starter right now and is a starter ca- caliber player in Will Barton. Another guy in PJ Dozier who's so good, like. He's forced his way onto the court. And then you've still got Compasso and Morris. You can slide Murray over shooting guard. Like, you have tons of options. There is no need to keep Gary Harris in as your starting shooting guard. If he was stopping the opposing shooting guards, hell, if he was 6'7 and you weren't worried about him being undersized for the position just to begin with, like, you could, I could see how you could be like, yeah, we're going to keep him in there. There's no point in, in keeping Gary Harris in as a starter. And the Nuggets need to make that change. It's, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond long enough now. And, and I'm not saying Gary Harris can't figure it out and can't in some way get back to being a starter level. But I think at this point it's been, we've got ample evidence to say he's not a starter caliber, caliber player right now. So let's stop trying to force that square peg into the round hole because it's hurting the team. So that's my first step. That's what I would do to, to try and help kind of turn this thing around, which is a bit, you know, kind of hyperbole, I think, would turn this thing around. We're only two games into it. But but and maybe some adjustments I would make. The first one I would make, like I said, is Gary Harris. Um, I would probably bring him off the bench. And I would probably bring P.J. Dozier as a starter. Now, that's probably going to ruffle some some feathers for Will Barton if you choose to start P.J. Dozier. Gary Harris is one thing. Like I said, he's the established starter. Uh, to bring P.J. Dozier, a guy who was on a two-way contract last year, and have him jump. Uh, Will Barton and get into the starting lineup that could be tough but PJ Dozier is a solid defender he is 6'7 and he's played really really well this year like I I think PJ Dozier is the is the the right fit 
for the Nuggets starting shooting guard right now, and I think he'd be the guy to go. We're going to have to figure out how you, how you explain that to Will Barton about how he's still the guy coming off the bench. But Will's been bad on defense, too. I mean, let's be honest. Like, he's he's not stopping anybody either. So, um, you know, he's he's going to have to shore that up. And we know he can. He was he's a strong defender last year. So, Will's got to shore that up. But you could also, if you want it, you know, fine. If you want Will Barton to start, that's fine. But, like, somebody other than Gary Harris uh, has to start. That's my first adjustment. The other adjustments, I don't think I don't think they have to do a ton. Uh, I mean, Nikola Jokic looks looks great. He looks like an MVP candidate player. He was one rebound away from being the first player ever to have, I think since Magic Johnson, to have um, back-to-back triple doubles to open a season, which is impressive when you consider guys like Russell Westbrook and, and, and James Harden and Jason Kidd and a lot of really good players who were able to rack up triple doubles. Um, and it's did not start out two games kind of like Nikola did. So he's he's fine. Don't mess with anything there. I think Jokic is. I felt this way from preseason. I've, I've felt this way even more now. I think it's. I think it's a solid bet. I'm not sure if you're still getting 25 to one odds on Jokic for MVP, but I think that's a solid bet. Um, if the little Nuggets can get get some wins on the board at least, and I, I felt just really felt like this is going to be the best season Jokic has ever had, and I think it's a season where people are going to look back at it and say that is this that that was the year Jokic went from being superstar to being top five, unquestionable top five player in the NBA. Um, I think he's that good. So that, that I think is good. And I think you're, I think you don't worry too much about Jamal Murray. It was very encouraging. You might've been worried a little bit until that fourth quarter against the Clippers, but that was encouraging to see that. Yes, he's still got that. He's got obviously fine consistency. That's, that's the key with Jamal and it has been um, for some time, but if he can get going, you know, here earlier in the season and earlier in games, if he's not waiting until the fourth quarter, um, to get going, I think he's going to be fine, and we know he can do that. And so it was—it's promising to see him score 23 points in the second game of the season. It's Jamal is a guy who's typically taken a couple weeks to really get going, and so if he—if it took him, you know, seven quarters this time instead of two weeks, then fine, uh, I'll, I'll deal with that. But I think Jamal is going to be uh, going to be fine. Another adjustment that they've got to make, though, they've got to figure out how to get Michael Porter Jr. the ball more. He. Uh, he is just ridiculously efficient on offense. You know, like I said, I didn't think he had the best game um, against the Clippers, but they also didn't play him a bunch. He only played 23 minutes, and he was it was somewhat difficult because you've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the other side, and it's a tough, tough defensive matchup to put Michael Porter Jr. on either one of those guys. Um, and he wasn't doing much to stop Nick Batum. So, there, you know, where else were you going to kind of put him? I get it, but, like, you you what you saw in that Sacramento game, I think that like that's that's what you expect should be expecting to get out of Mike every night. Like that, he should be a twenty plus points per game scorer. He's a guy who's going to shoot around forty percent from three, um, and around fifty percent from the field. You know, he's he's legit 90-50-40 type talent, uh, and he's he's legit uh, can put up twenty points on on fourteen shots every single night. So they've they've got to figure out a way to get him fifteen to twenty shots uh, a game. Like I, that that's just the way it's got to be. And and if they can do that, I think uh, he's going to be um, a guy who a lot of, is going to get a lot of consideration for most improved player of the year. Could be even a fringe All Star type of guy. So that's that's something. It was very promising to see them the, use him the way they did against Sacramento. And then it was somewhat discouraging to see them go away from it. Like I said, I get it. I get it against Sacramento, but 
tonight game against Houston, which we're gonna we're gonna hit the break here in just a little bit, and then we'll we'll dive into this Houston game. But like that's a game. This is the type of team that Michael Porter Jr. needs to eat uh, early and often. And let me see if there's anything else I had in my notes. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, so, all right, let's go ahead. Let's do it. Then let's hit the break. Uh, and when we come back, we will dive into this Houston game as well as the uh, upcoming run of games for this week. So stick with us. We'll be here. Right We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on, or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pickaxe Podcast, Zach Nikosh with DenverStiffs.com. Flying solo as Mr. Gordon Gross is off this week. And we spent the first half of the show talking about the two losses that were against the Sacramento Kings and Los Angeles Clippers. What the Nuggets need to do to try and get back on track. And what are the biggest issues they are facing them. So for whatever reason you somehow missed the first half of the show, I'm not sure how you would do that. Make sure you go back and listen if you want to get my thoughts on that moving forward now we're going to look forward to this week and what is upcoming starting with the game tonight against the houston rockets who are a 
Uh, the Rockets are a mess, um, to say the least. Obviously, the team is going through a lot of change uh, right now. And a team that is, you know, it, 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 we, we see it happen time and time again. The Nuggets have gone through it. Um, when you realize, when you, you, you've built a, a, you've got a star player, a clear star player, a clear top 10, top 5 type talent guy in the league, and you're building your entire roster around it, and it just, you got close a couple times, you had some bad luck, uh, you just couldn't get over the hump, and now it's kind of all falling apart uh, around you, and it's now reached the pinnacle of your star player asking for a trade out, and, and so the whole thing is just kind of uh, in the process of getting blown up. And then, oh, by the way, you've got this thing going on uh, called Pandemic, and your star player is not handling it very well, and it has caused some issues so much so that you have a ton of guys who will not be available tonight, specifically for the Rockets. Uh, Chris Clemens, who cares? He's out. DeMarcus Cousins, out. Eric Gordon, out. Mason Jones, who cares? Out. Uh, Kenya Martin Jr., again, I mean, shout out to K. Martin Jr., but out. Ben McLemore, out. John Wall, out. Every single one of those guys I listed with the exception of Clemens. That's a COVID-related um, issue. That's why they're not on the uh, not on the uh, the roster for tonight. We're not going to be playing with the team. So that uh, it makes it very very interesting stand from a Nuggets standpoint, or from a from a Nuggets podcast standpoint that previews games of well, how the what the heck's going to happen in this Houston game, Zach? I don't really know. You know, I, this is a this is a weird one. So Houston, obviously, they had one game postponed. Um, because of of the the whole COVID thing, and then they've had um one game that they played against the Portland Trail Blazers, which was a loss. Uh, the Blazers. I'm not sure how much we read into the the one and one Trail Blazers right now. They obviously did not look very good against the Nuggets in preseason, and they opened up the regular season getting blown out by the Jazz, but then they were able to beat this Rockets team 120-126. So, I mean, my personal thoughts are, I don't think the Blazers are very good, and I don't think the Houston is very good um, either. In that game, it was all, it was pretty much C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard versus uh, James Harden, and... Not a lot going on there. Otherwise, uh, Christian Wood had a big game as well for for the Rockets there in that game. But uh, I don't think anybody's uh, doing too much game planning about Christian Wood. Maybe. I mean, the guy did score 31 points. So, uh, you know, maybe the Nuggets will be taking that into consideration tonight. It's going to be a weird game no matter what. It's going it, to – the Rockets are going to look a lot different just in general this season. And then this – game in particular just like their last one um is a bit is a bit funky i think when i look at this rockets team you know kind of overall it, it, it's really hard to tell what you're going to get from john wall because who knows the guy hasn't played in like two years and he didn't exactly look like he was in the best shape when he was um right before he got hurt so you know he looks like he's in better shape now but i think he also looks like he's aged like 20 years like gosh the guy looks like he's 45 um but you know, I, I I don't know what to think of John Wall, and I guess it doesn't matter for tonight because he's not playing. In terms of the Rockets over the season, I, that's that to me is a wild card. You know, well, 
we dial that back. The wild card is, are you trading James Harden or not? Like, if you're trading James Harden, then, then it's pretty easy to, to tell what the uh, the Rockets look like. They're blowing it up. They're going to be bad. They're going to ride out this John Wall contract while they're bad, and they're going to hopefully, you know, get as many draft picks as they can and, and sort of rebuild a young core with John Wall's their veteran, and then they can when they get off that John Wall contract, hopefully they've got a nice new young core to be building around um, with some guys established that they know are the, are the, are the pieces that they want um, to, you know, to, to ride with, I guess, for lack of a better term. So that is, um, I think, their long-term plan if you're trading James Harden, which I, it, I mean, it seems like that's the, the way this is going. It doesn't seem like there's much of a um, chance for reconciliation. The, the wild card there, though, is is that, you know, Harden's under contract for like three more seasons, so it's not like the the Rockets have to do anything. Like, dude's gonna play, um, and he's gonna play well. He scored forty four points in his first game back, but it's just, um, it's just gonna obviously be a tough situation to navigate. Probably easier to navigate uh, if you just move on from him. If you don't, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of the Lakers uh, in between Shaq and Pau Gasol when you had Kobe Bryant, and Kobe Bryant was awesome. Um, and there was just not a lot around him. And so, you know, sometimes Kobe could, could will that team himself, you know, to, uh, to, uh, like a seventh or eighth playoff seed. Um, but nothing else would be on that. They were first round fodder and that was it. Uh, and sometimes they just missed the playoffs entirely and, and, and certainly went through some lumps. It, it feels like if you hang on to James Harden, that's essentially what you're signing up for. And I don't know that you've got the cachet with the league like the Lakers do to get yourself a nice sweetheart deal from the Grizzlies when it's like, oh, shoot, your star player wants out and you play for the marquee franchise, so we better figure out who we can get you know, who we can get in there uh, to make this team better so that Kobe stays in L.A. I don't know that James Harden gets the same sort of treatment in Houston. And so I feel like if you're really, uh, to be honest, if, if, if you hang on to James Harden, then like your ceiling is probably like the mellow Knicks. Right, like which in a lot of ways is what Houston's ceiling has already been with James Harden. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It, it feels like at this point, if you're the Rockets, like yeah, it sucks because it's so hard to find a superstar player of that caliber. Um, and you did find him, like you, you bet on James Harden as a guy coming off the bench could could be a, a superstar in the league, and you bet right. Um, but it's a new regime over there in Houston, and maybe it's just better to, you know, we're just going to go ahead and. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're just gonna go ahead and wipe the slate clean. I think that that's what I would do um, in my you know infinite wisdom as a basketball blogger. Uh, that's probably where I would go because I just don't think you can get much more than like I said maybe being like a low playoff seed um, with James Harden right now, particularly unless you're gonna find somebody to play next to him. And you've been through three different guys, whether it was Dwight Howard, and I get Dwight Howard kind of fell off. Uh, that, was, that was during his decline there when he was in Houston. But you also had, you know, Chris Paul, who was great in Houston and then was great immediately leaving Houston. Russell Westbrook, who was, you know, I mean, obviously Russell Westbrook has, has his, his warts, but is still a, a superstar player and a, a guy who was an MVP just a couple seasons ago. Um, and, and who's looked, you know, I mean, I don't know specifically what, what Washington did uh, maybe in their last game, but I know, you know, Russell Westbrook looked good opening night against the Wizards, or not against the Wizards, with the Wizards, got a triple-double himself, so, you know, there's, uh, I guess the point I'm making is you've had three guys in here now that you've tried to pair 
as the second guy to James Harden. And maybe in some cases, the it was just a you you picked a bad guy uh, to pair next to James Harden, who's going to be bad no matter where he was playing. Um, but in other cases, you've had high quality guys. I mean, to me, Chris Paul is the most one of the most damning. Um, some of the most damning evidence against James Harden there is because Chris Paul, um, who yeah, I mean I get it. Chris Paul is there. The the rumors are out there. The guys from you know from what what has been said is kind of a tough guy to play with. He's very demanding, right? Um, he's not not a guy who's going to sugarcoat it. He's got that Kobe that Jordan type of mentality where he's going to call out his teammates and get in their face and let them know if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And maybe that's not that rubs James Harden the wrong way, um, but. Chris Paul was good, really good in Houston. Chris Paul was an MVP candidate uh, with the Thunder. Like, Chris Paul's a very good player, and if you couldn't make it work with him, um, and then Russell Westbrook, another guy who, like I said, I mean, he's um, another guy. If you can't make it work with him, like, you have to take a step back and start looking at this and being like, well, is this a James Harden issue? Like, is it is is that the that's the common denominator here, right? So... Um, maybe that's the, the issue that we're, you know, we're actually facing here. And, and so is that the guy you really want to build around and continue to build around? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's a hard, uh, hard, hard sell for me. So in terms of, of though, the, the, the game tonight, um, and what can we glean from it? You know, Christian Wood, like I said, he had a big game, uh, against the Blazers. That is the only big to speak of uh, on this on this Rockets team right now with Cousins out, so you know they 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 traded Robert Covington um, last uh, or, or this off season after trading for him last season. Like Houston's going through a lot of, a lot of change, um, and then they you know they've got like I said they've got they've got uh, they picked up Demarcus Cousins and in Christian Wood in the uh, in the off season this 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 year. So they've got, they've kind of went back to maybe getting some bigs. They let Isaiah Hartenstein go. Seems maybe not like the best move given how he's looked so far in Denver, but um, they, there's, they're starting to bring some bigs back into, into this Houston lineup, but they don't have a ton. So when DeMarcus Cousins is out because of COVID, um, suddenly it, it's a, it's a problem uh, that you're, when you're going to be going up against, Nicole Jokic. So Christian Wood is going to have a lot, a lot asked of him tonight, just like he had a lot asked of him against Portland. Um, but as we, as we know, Nicole Jokic is a significant step up from Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, so that, to me, that's that's your your number one priority if you're the Nuggets is is get the ball to Jokic. Continue to let him eat. He's looked awesome, like I've said. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to stop. Uh, giving him the ball and letting him do what he does. The other thing to, to keep in mind too is is when it comes to even their forwards, like the there's a lot of scrappy, tough, stout dudes uh, in these in in this forward lineup. When you're talking about the Rockets, whether it's it's Daniel House or it's uh, PJ Tucker, um, even to a to an extent James Harden, right? Like there there are a lot of guys who are going to be sort of more of your scrappy kind of defensive guys. Uh Deshaun Tate's gonna play tonight. He's undersized for, for a perimeter defender, but another guy who's again, I mean, these are these are not guys who are you're worried about putting up 30 points on you. They're bodies who are gonna hustle hard, 
um, and are, are going to make things try and make things difficult for you when you're on offense. And that's what the Nuggets are going to have to overcome. But at the same time, none of those guys are six foot ten, and so Michael Porter Jr. should be able to. I mean, he should be able to shoot over PJ Ducker and, and Daniel House all day long. I mean, David Nwaba, another guy who's you know. Uh, Solid perimeter guy has a ridiculous wingspan, but not a guy that that should that should give Michael Porter Jr. any issues. And then you know, I mean, these guys are um, not exactly the most the quickest guys on the perimeter either. So you, Jamal Murray should uh, have some opportunities tonight to get going. So I think in terms of, I, I think the Nuggets have a great chance to get their first win tonight, and and. Uh, Fairly easily, in fact. I think it, it, it comes down to just stop James Harden. Or let James Harden eat and don't let Christian Wood score 31 points against you. I mean, that's that's really all you have to do against this team. There, there's not a bunch else to like from a Rockets roster right now that's missing like seven dudes because of COVID. So, um, the Nuggets should win this thing as long as they just they just keep Harden in check um, and don't let a role player kill them like the... Uh, like the Portland Trailblazers almost did in that game against Houston the other night. All right, so then to finish out the week, it's a bit of a, a big week for the Nuggets. They still have three more games on the docket. Uh, they will get who do they play next? This is this is bad podcasting uh, on my part, but uh, they anyways the, the four teams that they are going to play it's it's pretty winnable. They've got Phoenix and Minnesota. Um, this Houston game, I guess I'm including that those four. Uh, games and then they've also got um, Sacramento again after playing uh, the Kings last week. So really, when you think about those those teams, a Houston team with nobody uh, on the roster to speak of, a Suns team who might be might be decent this year, a Minnesota team who is still kind of sort of in the middle of their rebuild, uh, you know, and then, then a Kings team likewise still in the middle of their rebuild. You should be. You should feel pretty strongly about this week if you're a Denver Nuggets fan. Now they do they do have to go obviously on the road um, for some of these games. They don't get to stay home for all of it. They will be at Sacramento and then at Minnesota on Sunday, but they do have the home games against Houston um, and Phoenix as well. So I think the the first two teams I would I would look at there uh, are the games that they'll play this weekend um, because I think they're they're two teams in somewhat similar spots, which is the the Phoenix Suns. And the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think when people look at teams who have potential to break into the playoffs in the West this year, those are two teams that are probably on their list. Phoenix is probably higher than Minnesota. Um, but I think there's a lot to like uh, about Minnesota as well. You know, with with Phoenix, it's, it's a team that... Uh, <coughs> I think... I think Maybe isn't the long term picture isn't as rosy as Minnesota's, but certainly for this season, I would say they're they're the better team because again they have Chris Paul. I mean Chris Paul, old as he is, is still playing at a really really high level, and that's the type of guy that's a perfect guy to put next to Devin Booker to teach him. Okay, Devin, here's how you go from being uh, a star player who you know is flirting with thirty points a game on a team that only wins thirty games a year. To a guy who's maybe able to score twenty to twenty-five points a game, but gets his team in the forty and fifty wins every season. Like Chris Paul's the guy to teach that to Devin Booker. Um, and then, and there's a lot just in general, I think, to like from Phoenix's roster long term as well. That's not saying I know I said I think I like Minnesota's roster long term a little bit better 
than Phoenix. But that's again, that's because Phoenix has got you know they one of their main players is in his mid thirties. So uh, that that's something they're going to have to adjust. When your second best player is you know whatever Chris Paul's like thirty four, thirty five. If he's your second best player, well, that's that's all well and good for this season. But how's that going to be two years from now? You know, you know what I mean. That's that's kind of what I'm saying because I think there's still a lot to like in terms of the Suns' core from uh, a young player perspective. I mean, Devin Booker is not an old player. It's he's been in the league now for a while, but he you know he's been in the league um, what maybe one year longer than Jamal Murray. So he's not. It's not like he's that that long in the tooth and you've got you know you've got Mikhail Bridges who I think is a guy who's who's maybe potentially starting to show out um this season and really become okay you know you know there was a lot of physical tools to like there a lot of versatility a guy who who you really felt like I can put a lot of uh you know I can get him out on the wings and and feel like he's he's a guy who's going to be a really solid defender for my team but I think uh, you know what we've seen from Mikael Bridges uh, a little bit so far early in the season is that he also is a guy that they can count on as a scorer, as a guy who might be a fifteen to twenty point a night uh, scorer for this team, and that's that's something they need in their starting lineup because you're not at this, you're not asking Chris Paul to score twenty points a night, you're asking him to get you ten assists, right? And so who are these guys that he's setting up that's going to knock down shots? Well, you know, Jay Crowder's uh, obviously not there to do that. He's there to be your defensive guy, and and, and DeAndre Ayton, yes, is is a very offensive geared center but um you know he's he, he can't just be him like they've needed a perimeter scorer to put next to Devin Booker um and I really feel like Mikhail Bridges is 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 sort of developing into that guy and you know and then you got Cam Johnson who's coming off of um the bench and is looking he's looking solid as, as sort of like your sixth man and you've got some other you know I mean I mean I'm not gonna write home about Cameron Payne or anything like that or um Jalen Smith, but they're they're guys that I think are are quality guys who, who fill out that rotation and 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 make it a, a full a, a well rounded team. They're they're maybe missing something uh, the Suns in terms of the top end a little bit uh, because you know I mean Devin Booker is really good, but he's not a Nicole Jokic, he's not a James Harden, he's not you know he's not quite at that tier yet. And and Chris Paul has you know slowed down a bit from the when he was a top five player you know he's maybe a top 20 player in the NBA right now um, versus when he was a top five player so I think there's still some questions in term of the top end for the Suns but I like that roster and I think it's a roster that the Nuggets could struggle against because they've got a lot of guys who who match up who who are going to create matchup problems from the Nuggets particularly when the Nuggets are on offense I mean Chris Paul is just the type of point guard to put on uh, Jamal Murray, a, a heady veteran who's going to bring a lot of ball pressure um, and get the ball out of Jamal's hands, make him work more off ball, not allow that two-man game with Jokic to to operate, you know, seamlessly and and really make things difficult for Jamal, despite the the height disadvantage that Chris Paul's uh, has in that matchup. Devin Booker is is going to occupy Gary Harris's time the entire time, and, and Gary does a pretty good job on Devin Booker, but that's all you can expect out of Gary, and, and Gary, we're not expecting much else out of Gary at this point, um, and who knows if he can even stop Devin Booker, but that's just it. I mean, if you're having troubles right now stopping Buddy Heald and Paul George, you're probably going to have trouble stopping Devin Booker too, so that, that puts some taxing on you. Uh, like I was talking about with Mikhail Bridges, that's a, a lengthy, small forward who's got some athleticism and some defensive chops is a really good 
uh, guy to, to have to throw at Michael Porter Jr. And, and DeAndre Ayton, while is certainly not known for his defense, he is a big, strong rebounder. He is a big, strong center. <coughs> He's going, can give Nikola Jokic uh, some trouble there. And then you've also got Jay Crowder, who's just, you know, who's just a dog, who's who's a guy who flat out makes his money by being a tough, tough defender. So a lot uh, to like from the Sun standpoint in terms of matching up with the Nuggets. I think that's a team who could give the Nuggets some trouble this year and in a team that maybe uh, if they make the playoffs that Denver would uh, potentially want to avoid. It's a little bit different with Minnesota. Like I said, I think their long end um, might be better. But they're short. They're short term, not quite as much. And I think one of the main reasons is there again. It seems like I'm on a broken record with with Chris Paul here. But again, it comes back to Chris Paul in that you don't have that veteran leader. I think on this Minnesota team, and I think it's something that's been missing uh, for a long time. You had Jimmy Butler here who tried to do it, but was probably the wrong type of fit. Um, for this this young group to be be there, and so you you don't have a ton uh, of veteran leadership. You don't really have veteran leadership at all on this team. They're all you know, your your veteran leaders are are going to be Carl Anthony Towns um, and D'Angelo Russell uh, and Malik Beasley. So it's not not ideal, I guess would be the best way to put that. Um, Let's see what's going on with Cat. I noticed he's injured. Uh, let's see. I can see if I can pull up real quick what's going on with Cat. He is. I. I. Minnesota's got some creative injuries here. The left. Perlinate. Per, per, Perlinate. I don't know. A sub sub subluxation. This is this is what I need Gordon for. This is this is the moment where Gordon would shine because I have no idea what a what a perlinate is, and you can probably hear me click clacking away here and figure it out. So a dislocations, uh, a what in the? It looks like the from the X-ray photo, like the knee, um, lunate dislocation. Is it a dislocated knee? Uh, so he could be out for a while. Wow, I don't know what's going on with um. What's going on with Cat there? It's a very interesting injury. But uh, yeah, he's out. I, I, I would guess. I mean, I mean, I'm guessing he's out. Um, for for maybe maybe might not even play this game. They don't play until Sunday, so maybe he's going to be back by then. I guess I didn't I didn't see this injury come along. Yeah, it's a wrist. So that's what it is. He dislocated his wrist. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the, the dive, uh, the brief five-minute tangent as we dove into medical. Um, but it does sound like he's going to miss several games, so they probably do not actually have to deal with Carl Anthony Towns this Sunday, which will be good. It's another another bonus for, for Nicole Jokic not having to worry about uh, dealing with Cat. Uh, again, a guy who's not very good on defense, but would certainly make Jokic work on defense. Um, otherwise, though, I mean, obviously, Cat is is more or less your leader of this team, and I don't know. Uh, obviously, from a talent standpoint, I think he's there. 
Uh, I just don't know from a, a locker room standpoint if that's like the right guy. And they're not doing what the Nuggets, the Timberwolves aren't doing what the Nuggets did <clears throat> when the teams were probably, when they were probably feeling the same way about, well, are, is Jokic ready to be Jokic Murray? Are these guys ready to be your locker room leaders? You know, there there is no Paul Millsap. There's no Richard Jefferson. There's no Michael Mike Miller on these uh, on this, this Timberwolves roster. It's a bunch of guys in their mid-20s um, and, and really nothing else. I guess Ricky Rubio would be the guy and, and would be your one sort of veteran um, guy that, that you have on there. But otherwise, you know, not a ton to uh, speak of in terms of that veteran presence. And I think there's guys, you, when you talk about Carl Anthony Towns, um, and you talk about D'Angelo Russell, you talk about Malik Beasley, you're talking about guys, there, there's questions regarding their maturity levels, their commitment levels, their um, ability to stay out of trouble off the court, speaking specifically of Beasley in, in that case. Like, there, there's, there's questions there that I think make me a little bit more tentative about whether or not this team can actually grow into a competitive uh, group. The talent is certainly there. I mean, D'Angelo Russell is is a really talented guy. Carl Anthony Towns, really talented guy. Malik Beasley, really talented guy. I mean, Anthony Edwards looks uh, pretty good to start out for for a rookie. You know, I mean, he's he's coming off the bench right now, but Malik Beasley's probably got got some concerns right now um, that he might not be able to keep his his starting role because Anthony Edwards certainly seems like a guy who's who's looking pretty good, uh, at least from a scoring standpoint, and could fill that role that Malik sort of fills in that starting lineup as the, you know, as a as a scorer from the two guard spot. So, um, I think there's a lot to like in terms of Minnesota's depth. Uh, Nas Reed is a guy psh, God, I would love to have him on the Nuggets. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a big Hartenstein booster as well, but Nas Reed is a guy who's, you know, just the the perfect type of, uh, you know, grinded out tough guy center. Um, that every team should have. You know, Ricky Rubio is is obviously, like I said, he's going to be their veteran, and he's a he's a, a solid, very solid point guard. Um, I like Jared Culver. I think he's a great guy to have coming off your bench as as a an energy guy, a, a guy who can bring some speed to the floor for you. Who also plays solid defense. Like Wancho Hernan Gomez is off that bench. There's there's a lot to like um, in terms of the depth in Minnesota, and I think there's a lot of high end talent. Uh, in terms of their starters as well. It's just a matter of can they put it all together? Do they have the maturity to be to take that next step and go from promising young core to take the next step to the Nuggets? You know, the Nuggets and the Timberwolves were really right around that same spot. Uh, we're, we're at the same spot just a couple seasons ago when they played the game 82. Um, Minnesota lost Butler and it kind of all crumbled around them at that point. They, they really haven't had come up with a good plan yet since then to uh, build around Carl Anthony Towns other than adding D'Angelo Russell, which we're not sure how well that's going to work out yet. Um, but their team who's maybe took a step back or while the Nuggets took a step forward. And so can they, A, take get back to where they were as basically a low playoff seed? I think they've got the talent on their roster right now to be a team, certainly certainly with 10, uh, you know, 10 seeds now. They're, they're certainly a team who can compete for somewhere between that you know, that seven and 10 seed um, and get into that play in tournament. And, and then can they go from there? Do they have the horses right now to go from there and become 
you know, a perennial playoff team. That I don't know. It, it really matters on, on, on these guys and, and how they develop in terms of maturity and, and, and kind of rounding out their games on the defensive end. Because right now, Minnesota is going to have to win games like they are winning games, which is with a bunch of points, right? They're not going to – Minnesota is not going to stop – um, anybody from scoring. They have yet to stop a team from scoring under 100 points. Even the Pistons uh, scored 100 points on on um, the the uh, Timberwolves, and the Pistons couldn't manage to score 100 points the entire preseason. So, like, I don't think the Timberwolves have much in the way of stopping anybody defensively, but they certainly have enough uh, firepower, you know, to win a lot of games. Uh, in that that was sort of one twenty to one ten range, which is which is how they've won. I think most of their their games so far, the both of the games they've won so far. Yeah, they they beat the Jazz one sixteen one eleven, beat the Pistons one eleven one hundred one, and then lost to the Lakers one twenty seven to one to, to ninety one. So they they're not going to stop anybody uh, on defense, and that's that's going to be the key for the Nuggets, particularly if they don't have to worry about Carl Anthony Towns. All right, we are. Pretty much, pretty much out of time here. So let's go ahead. We, we spent a lot of time talking about the Kings uh, in the first. So I guess just to bring it around and to wrap up the show, the Nuggets will play. I think they actually, did they play the Kings? They might play the Kings. It might be the first team they play um, this, uh, after this, this Houston game. Let me double check that for you real quick. We're running out of time and I'm over here checking the schedule. It is true. Yep. They'll play the Kings on Tuesday and then they play, yeah, like I said, they play Phoenix and Minnesota on the weekend. Uh, so what do we, what can we do differently this time around? I mean, it comes to stopping that guard, those guard units. It comes to stopping De'Aaron Fox uh, and Tyrese Halliburton from getting to the net. Stop leaving Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald uh, and Harrison Barnes wide open at the three-point land. That's, man, uh, like, I get it, he's a rookie, and so you don't have a ton of film, and you had even less prep this time, whatever. Like, I, the, the amount of times Tyrese Halliburton was just standing completely by himself at the three-point line uh, in that Kings game last week was was just ridiculous. I think he took, like, what, like six threes? I think every single one of them was wide open, and I think he cashed in half of them. So, you you got to find a way to you've got to get better perimeter defense you've got to do more on the on the offensive glass you cannot let Bagley Whiteside um and Holmes just just take you to task there and i don't know if that's uh maybe making an effort to get Michael Porter Jr. the ball more uh not at the perimeter you know trying to maybe work him in to some more low lower stuff i don't you know i don't want to do that i like, I like you don't want to Michael Porter jr you want shooting threes so i don't know how much you do that or maybe it's just getting paul Millsap, um maybe just bringing him down low more or whatever it's got to be but they've got to figure out a way to try and keep those those bigs off the glass because that definitely uh that definitely killed them and then just execute i mean that's because at the end of the day like it was it would not have been a pretty win it would have not have been a perfect win but the nuggets had plenty of chances to win that game like i was talking about and like they just need to execute i felt like and they would have they would have got that thing um, one way or another. They could have been a pretty game where they won going away if they just kept executing out of the half, like I was talking about earlier, or if they could have just executed in either of those closing moments of the fourth quarter overtime, um, they would have got that win. So I don't think there's a ton they need to change, uh, but clearly you got to do a better job defending the perimeter and you got to do a better job uh, on the glass. And you're going to be in Sacramento this time, so obviously a little bit different because of the whole COVID thing and you won't have to deal with um, Sacramento fans who are quite, um, quite a good fan base, but you are still going to have to travel to Sacramento, which the Nuggets, for whatever reason, never play well in Sacramento. Um, so you've got that hump to overcome as well. 
that would be the keys, I would say, to getting the win on Tuesday. And then otherwise, you know, just keep riding Jokic, man. That's that's going to be the key. And, and and also, hey, if Jamal Murray doesn't shoot like one for six or whatever, um, you probably got a pretty good chance of winning that game. So that is going to do it for us on the Pickaxe Podcast. Make sure you guys are following me on Twitter. I am at Zach Mikosh. Gordon is at G Money Nugs. Follow us uh, at the Denver Stiffs as well. Uh, or just at Denver Stiffs. It's at the Denver Stiffs on Instagram. Make sure you guys are checking out our YouTube channel. We got our intern Riley working on all kinds of cool new stuff over there. Um, and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast network, the Denver Stiffs podcast network. Don't go looking for pickaxe podcasts wherever you're picking up your podcasts from. You won't find it. You have to go to the Denver Stiffs podcast network and subscribe to that feed, and then you will get this show, Nuggets Numbers, Chicken Nuggets. Uh, I think we might have a special episode of The Dig Up right now. Garbage Takes, our new show, uh, as well as the Denver Stiff Show on Friday. So there is a ton of podcast content from all different voices here at Denver Stiffs, taking all different angles um, at looking at this team. There is not a single site, news outlet, whatever you want to call it, out there that produces as many podcasts about the Nuggets um, as the Denver Stiffs do. So make sure you are subscribing to that podcast feed and you will get all those shows right to your phone or computer as soon as they come out. It's the best way um, to get us, at least from the podcasting platform. All right, everybody, with that, we will go ahead and talk to you next week. Listen,